I'm your host, David Frost. This is my strategic forecast where you get common sense market analysis. Today is Monday, September 14, 2020. We're looking at a daily chart of the SPY or Spider, which is the proxy for the S&P 500. What do we have on the docket today? We've got a fresh new week. I've got a laundry list of notes. We're going to clear up a couple of things in terms of what our expectations should be for the possible schematics going forward. I got a series of emails on that, so I'm going to clear that up. We're going to talk through the longer term schematic. Let's get some housekeeping items out on the table. What's this week? This week happens to be quadruple witching options expiration. What does that mean? Well, it used to mean a whole hell of a lot more than it means now, but the net net is you have four different asset classes expiring. The options on those asset classes expire on Friday. And the old prevailing wisdom has been you're going to see a lot of unusual behavior in stocks, in the market, across the board during options expiration week. We don't necessarily always get it, but it's an awareness that we need to have. Certainly more so today on the quadruple witching options expiration than the traditional options expiration. After all, as it stands now, we have options expiring almost every day. It's the casino of options, and it is a casino. Mark my words. When discussing the weekly options, for example, most traders, and when I mean most, I don't mean like 51%. I mean like 91%. Most traders, when they play the weekly options, buying a put, buying a call, most traders lose. Why is that? A, because traditionally, the weekly options is a sucker's bet. Put it this way. If the individual trader, the retail options trader, is buying a call or buying a put, who's on the other side of that? Now, obviously, we can have a long discussion about who's on the other side of the trade, buyers and sellers, all that stuff. Let's just strip away the complexity and let's think about it like this. If, in fact... The market maker, and who's the market maker? The market makers are really today the institutions. If part of their job is a requirement to make sure that there are liquidity, they need to ensure liquidity exists across the markets in whatever they're making a market in. What that means is that if there happens to not be a buyer or seller to be on the other side of your trade, my trade, Cousin Jimmy's trade, then the market maker's job, their requirement is that they have to take the other side of that trade. That's what they're there for, to quote-unquote make a market. If you're buying a call or buying a put in a weekly option and there's nobody on the other side of that trade, sometimes there is, sometimes there might not be. Who's on the other side of that trade if nobody's waiting there to pick up the other side of your order? The answer is, it's the market maker. The short story is... When you ask the options people at the large institutional options trading desks what the sucker's bet is and what the institutional bet is, they're selling puts and calls from an institutional perspective the majority of time. The retail trader is buying the put or the call. Who's smarter, the retail trader or 
the institutional trader. I'm not going to answer that. I'll just let you ponder that one for a while. Let's move over to the daily chart and let's do a couple of things. First, we're going to discuss what jumps off the page on the daily chart. Every single day that the market's open and that there's price action, there's trading involved, the market changes, the chart changes, the look changes. Some, not all, but some of the numbers change. So what jumps off the page on the daily chart? Well, right now, we've got two things that are jumping off the page at me. The reason one of them is jumping off is because there's a horizontal line running across the screen right around where price is, 337.50. We talked about that number many, many times. We continue to talk about that number. Case in point, look where the market opened the day. Opening print, 337.48, two cents off the number. Maybe the number's 337.47, and I'm off by three cents. Who knows? It's close enough. They're opening right on the number. Once again, that told us that number is important. Then, fast forward to the end of the day, and we'll get to the meat, what happened in between later on. The end of the day, what was the low? 337.55 before reversing back up to the north side. Who's going to challenge 337.50 and tell me that it's not important? You can do it. You can try, you can challenge it, but you're going to be wrong. What's the next thing that jumps off the page on the daily chart? Well, there's a couple of other things. Let's handle them one at a time. The next item on the docket is essentially the bearish, wedgish, flaggish pattern going on. You have a move downward, which would essentially be the flagpole. You have this flag, bearish, wedgish, flaggish kind of thing that's now been developing over the last five plus trading sessions. That's interesting. Traders that have taken the course, lazy e-mini trader, a light will go on. You'll have somewhat of a sub aha moment. You'll go back to the course. You'll remember that time is much more important than price. So I would say right now, we're probably in the wheelhouse for the market to do what? How about to make an attempt at some of the lower numbers that we've had on the board for several days. 326.5 down to 323.5, give or take. We talked about those last week at length. We talked about them a couple of times, if not more. We have a gap. We have former breakout areas. We have a lot of stuff going on down in that zone. If, for example, let's just say for argument's sake, this is half psychology, half what's going on in the chart right now, If the market is trading down there, let's say Tuesday, Wednesday type of thing, just as a hypothetical, is it going to look like you want to buy the market or is it going to look like most people want to run for the hills? Well, if we unpack it a little bit, if you go over to the media, if the market is falling, their hair will be on fire. They will have attached themselves to some piece of news that sounds terrible if you're listening to it. In reality, if they're trading down there sooner than later, what will they actually be doing? They will be coming down to retest or to test a former breakout area, fill a gap, maybe test two breakout areas, whatever it is, under normal garden variety conditions, the market is not going to just waltz through that area like it's whistling past the graveyard, cut through it like a hot knife through butter and keep going. Under normal conditions, that won't happen. 
everything and anything can happen, we go with the 80-20 rule. 80% of the time, the same stuff happens over and over and over again. 20% of the time, you get surprised. That's just the way life is. That's the way the market is. That's the way school is. That's the way our job is. Everything, for the most part, when you boil it down to that simplification, everything is pretty much the same as it applied to the 80-20 rule. Now, early on, I said we were going to clear up a couple of the potential schematics that are going on or likely to take place. Let's do it again. So we had a run-up. So far, the market peaked out on September 2nd, the 2nd of this month, and we've come down. Normal garden variety. The market pulls back. The market corrects. Nothing goes up in a straight line. It happens over and over and over again. You saw it here. Market runs up, pulls back, goes up, pulls back, or goes sideways. So here, the market ran up. It was in the redonculus. We don't need to rehash all that stuff. Now it pulled back. It's normal. Now the question is, do we collapse back down and pick up speed or accelerate on the downside? And that would essentially have the top made on September 2nd, the top. That's scenario, really number two. It's the second scenario that I posed last time we went over this. Now it becomes scenario number one because I talked about it first. Now here's what I'll say. If the high was September 2nd and we're not going to go back and at least make an attempt or challenge the old high, and if we're going to have a further sell-off, and if this stuff's not going to hold, and they're going to start coming down farther, it's likely that the market will break through the March lows before it ever sees a new high again. But that's a big if. That's if the market's going to collapse, if we're not going to get a rally back towards the old highs. Is all this going to really take place between now and the election, and then after the election, or... Is this a normal garden variety pullback setting up for, that's right, scenario number two, formally number one. Scenario number two is this. You have a run-up to September 2nd. We already had that. You have a pullback. Maybe it's over last week. Maybe we come down a little bit farther. Maybe we come down into this zone. That would be rather convenient. And then from there, and let's just say that happens over the next week to something like that. Maybe it happens tomorrow. Something like that. After the market is finished with this short-term correction, if it's going to be a short-term correction, they'll start another leg higher. The only question will be, do they make a new high or do they fail and then go back down before getting to the old high? This would be, in a sense, a truncated high, if you will. Now, here's the kicker. Both scenarios, if they try and make a new high or do make a new high, or if we've already seen the high and they're not even going to make an attempt, the end result on both scenarios is the same. The only question is timing. And you know what I'm going to say next. Time is more important than price. Here's an hourly chart. So I want to say something about the hourly chart, and you're going to see some of this inside the numbers in a moment. Today, the market gaps up, and we just talked about that. We opened right underneath 337.50. The market gaps up, and then it begins to eat time off the clock. It begins to pull back in a bullish formation. How do we know it's a bullish formation? As long as they stay above the low of day. And the low of day happened to be today, 
336.93. As long as they stayed above the low of day on hourly closes, then this is nothing other than a big breakup candle, eating time off the clock, setting up or building energy for another or subsequent move higher. That's what the market was doing today. Now, the market ran out of time. At the end of the day, they made an attempt to push higher. They made an attempt at what we like to say of an end-of-the-day jam session. What's an end-of-the-day jam session? Well, it's really when they pull somewhat of a rope-a-dope slash shenanigans, they pull the market back to run a test of what? 337.50. And then, while everybody gets scared thinking the market's going to collapse into the end of the day, they run a test of 337.50, flip around, and then they have what I like to call an end-of-the-day jam session where they just power the market higher, and they could have went higher, they didn't. No reason they couldn't have tested the highs from this morning, they didn't. Back to the hourly chart. So they ended up not being able to bust out and complete this pattern. What's this pattern to completion? Well, you had a big up move here, so technically speaking, it starts from the closing price on Friday. The gap up begins down here. If market symmetry has anything to say about it, and there's a really, really good lesson on market symmetry in the course at Lazy E-Mini Trader, what would happen is you would see a move, conveniently enough, almost to the 100-period moving average right above 344, give or take. How do we know that? Because that's the way the market works the majority of the time. We just got finished explaining the 80-20 rule. Inside the numbers, what we're going to do is point out a couple of things. For the most part, I'm going to pause the video on some important spots. We're going to go through them, but what I urge you to do is pause the video at your leisure, read the notes, and go back to the chart to see what happened. See where the support was. See where the resistance price was listed at. See what else was discussed. What images showed up throughout the day. What were we looking for? Where was the bogey on the downside? Where was the bogey on the upside? Pre-market commentary, happy Monday, futures opened up and kept going. So we were having a gap up, pretty obvious stuff. Let's move it along. Let's get to the pre-market or early thoughts. The overnight high is 33.75. That's something we can see right out of the gate. When the market's trading up, we look for an overnight high. Not that the market has to get there, not that they have to stop there, but it's our first guideline in the northern direction early in the morning. We also know that traditionally it would be overhead resistance, but if they got above it, that they would be heading for, or at least making an attempt for, the next big fat round number, 3,400, also coinciding with 341 in the SPY. Some of you might be wondering, why is there such a difference? We've rolled over to the December futures contract. There's about a 10-point difference between what the other contract was trading at, the U contract, that was the September contract, and there's a 10-point difference between that one and the new Z contract or the December contract. If you're a futures trader, you're used to hearing DES. It's short for, obviously, December. They just say DES. Or, easier yet, the Z contract. Now, I'd like to list some early numbers on the board. Where, if the market were to visit, where would buyers show up? Where would the buy the dip crowd appear? So the first one is around 3354, 336.60 in the SPY, give or take. 
They never got there in the early going, but that was a number that I would have been willing to participate on the long side. The next one below that, 33.47. And then, closing short-term and hourly candles below 33.47, that would really be a fumble in the makings for the bulls. So you want to know, where does the market fail? Where does it begin to fall apart? Where does it stay bullish? Where does it get more bullish? All that stuff, when you know that stuff, you can affect trades. You have targets, you have entries, you can take profit along the way. It makes your life easier. Net-net, know thy numbers. Moving right along. You know the routine, five-minute SPY chart, right of the vertical, today's activity. You see what's going on, 337.50. We already talked about it, but you can see what happened early in the day. Immediately tried to dip down, met with buyers, fighting 337.50, takes off to the high side. Right out of the gate. Remember 337.50. Funny how that works. So we know right out of the gate, above it is bullish. Below just means they're not ready yet. Didn't necessarily mean bearish first thing in the morning. The reason I said that, or one of the reasons I said that, is because they had a gap higher. They could have certainly spent some time underneath 337.50, ate some time off the clock if they weren't ready yet, then busted through. Just because they gapped up to that and couldn't get through right away doesn't make it a failure, doesn't make it bearish. It's an important spot, so you have to give it its due. At least that's from my perspective. And remember, inside my head is a dangerous place to be. You signed up, you're inside my head. Now here we have the overnight highs, 3375. The area around the overnight highs, or slightly higher, should be overhead resistance, at least on the first visit. They'll find some resistance up there, not saying it's just short, just saying that they won't keep going and will stall out. Remember 339.25, overhead resistance, that's from last week. For a point of reference, here's the pit session ES chart, right of the verticals, today's activity. There's 33.74.75 area, I put it at 74. That's the overnight highs. They did bust through, came down to retest. And that's basically where they wound up at the end of the day. Interesting. So now we know that that general area is important. How do we know that? Because the market kept coming back to it. Doesn't a bank robber always revisit the scene of the crime? At least they do on TV. SPY, there's that 339.25. So there again, you can see the importance. So they get slightly above it, come back. To retest it, get about a penny or two below. The low here was 339.21. Try and rally up again, but they couldn't. So we know that number is important. It was important last week. It's important right now. Moving right along. Let's scroll up a little bit, see what else we've got. Volume was quiet. The middle of the day got real quiet. All day was real quiet for the most part. But if we fast forward a little bit, something important did take place. You know about attempts at the big fat round number. First time, they come up short, they bust through. They rarely ever hit it on the nose. This time, they didn't really get that close today. They came up about seven or eight points short. Moving right along. So here, you start to see a picture. So they have a creation of a breakup candle. That's what happened in the first hour of the day. 
So when things go kind of quiet, it's an opportunity to show stuff that we may be forgetting, you may not know yet, you may just be learning now. So when you hear and see things over and over and over again, it helps the learning process. Think about the three-pillar approach this way. The course, Lazy E-Mini Traders, where you get the foundation of everything. Inside the numbers is where you get the intraday commentary, the lessons, intraday lessons like this, little tiny snippets. It's got something for everybody. You get stocks on the move. You get the intraday S&P commentary. You get the whole bowl of wax. And then these videos at night is really the ongoing continuing education across the board. So it's education nation or an education bonanza. Back to the chart. So we have the first hour as a breakup candle, and what we begin to know and begin to see is the market's quiet. What are they likely going to do? The majority of the time, there we go again with the 80-20 rule. The majority of the time, what are they going to do with a big breakup candle like this? They're going to eat some time off the clock, try and build some energy to have another slingshot higher. Moving right along. Basically at 11 o'clock, that's what this all says. Now, 11.12, this is where you really need to begin paying attention because this is a trade. Where is support as far as I'm concerned? This trader, that's me. 3.38 and a quarter down to 3.38. Now, that was a little after 11 o'clock, so where was the market when that was said? So here's 11.10 and the closing price at 11.10, well, this is the ES. Let's go over to the SPY. 11.10, we're already all the way up at a high or a closing price in this candle of 339.73, the next candle ending at 11.15 closed at 339.36. So we're nowhere near 338. Now, this is what I had to say. They may find support before that. 338 to 338 and a quarter is an area I'm willing to participate on the long side. Now it's quiet, lunchtime. They're just going to continue to eat time off the clock. Here we go at 12.41. Same chart, you can see the development. You can see them eating time off the clock, hovering under these moving averages, moving right along. 112. Same support as before, 338 and a quarter, 338 should be garden variety support. We don't want to see short-term candles or an hourly candle close below 338. As long as that doesn't take place, it is and should be support, moving right along. 148. The zone around 338 to 338 and a quarter was supposed to be support. The low so far in this pullback has been 338.08. Therefore, that worked. Traders who are long the SPY or an equivalent vehicle should be taking profit along the way. This is what's called in the driver's seat. The rest is a risk-free trade. I should have said the rest is a risk-free, emotionless trade. Moving right along. As they move back up, some resistance on the way back up north will be just over 339, then again around 339.60. Okay, so back to the chart. Let's figure out what this is all about. The blue line is 338 and a quarter. So you can see here the low in this candle, 338.08. We had resistance sighted around 339, just a touch over 339. That's what we said. So what happened here? High in this candle, 339.28. High in this candle, 339.33. And then the market came back down. Even before that, you can see here the high in this candle was 339.07. And the market came all the way back down. And here's the low of 338.51. So that 339 or just slightly above area was in fact resistance. And to the end of the day, they had a little bit of a rope-a-dope having to revisit 337.50. We talked about that. Then they had the end of the day jam session. 
can even see here, we were talking about an end-of-the-day jam session, but they had the shakeout first. What about stocks on the move? We only had three on the board today. The market was gapping up. Therefore, it takes a lot of our stock-on-the-move opportunity pre-market stuff off the table. But we had Peloton, we had Big Mo or Altria, and we had Gilead. Mo and Gilead didn't hit their numbers. Peloton did. Gilead took off right out of the gate. Here's a low of 64.31. Our number this morning was 63.86. Not that far away, but look at this rip higher. Would have been nice to be on that ride. How about Big Mo? Same routine. Look at the low in this candle. 42.63. The low on the board that you just saw was 42.50. And they took off again in the northern direction. So be it. We get what we get and we don't get upset. How about Peloton? Solid base hit. If you're painting by the numbers, they let you out with a profit as many times as you wanted. What is painting by the numbers? I have two numbers that were support. I had two numbers where they each could have been a destination. One was not better than the other. 81.24, entry number one, half a position. $80.23, second half of the position. Average cost, $80.74. You do the math. What's the high over here? 82.78. What's the high at the end of the day or the price at the end of the day? 82.17. They revisited both numbers enough times to at least give you a clue that both numbers were in fact important. Nothing wrong with base hits. Base hits put you in the Hall of Fame. You need a lot of them and you need time. Time is more important than price. Before we move on, let's wrap up the hourly chart of the SPY. Here's what we need to say. If, in fact, the market is A, opening below today's low on Tuesday, also known as, a.k.a. Turnaround Tuesday, if that's going on, if it's taking place, what are they going to do? They're going to go down and fill the gap or go lower. What gap? The gap left open from Friday's close. In this case, 334.73, 334 and change. If that's taking place, inside the numbers members will have a beat on refined numbers early in the morning. How early? I usually try and get them out around zero dark 30. Camp IWM. What's going on over there? Well, the takeaway from Camp IWM is up two and a half percent today, significantly more on a percentage basis than the S&P 500. That's a puzzle piece. It's on the table. Why is that? Because the IWM is in fact my favorite market leading indicator. If money's rushing into the small caps, the growth stuff, is it running to safety or is it running because they want the growth? You're not looking for a dividend in the IWM. You're not looking for stability. You're not really looking for boring. You're looking for jet fuel. So when the IWM is outpacing the S&P 500 on the upside, it's usually telling us something. It's a puzzle piece. It's on the table. What about the folks down at the transportation department? Same routine, second favorite market leading indicator. They were up a little bit less on a percentage basis than the S&P 500. So we have second favorite market leading indicator up, but not as much as the S&P. Favorite market leading indicator outpacing the S&P. What do we make out of that? One was outpacing, the other one we have to discard. It's just a dud, nothing to do with it. Not saying the transports are a dud, just saying we can't use it for that type of information or analysis. What do we have on the transport chart? Well, what we did have was a market that was making a bearish flaggish pattern 
riding the 20-period moving average. Now, after today, we have a bearish wedgish pattern that until and unless they get above hourly and then daily closing above this high here of 11,488 spot 70, until and unless that happens, then likely story is they're going to have another leg lower ultimately getting below the 20-period moving average. What if they can't? That's bullish, obviously. Not to be Captain Obvious, but just saying. What about the Qs, the folks out in Silicon Valley? Is this chart telling us anything? Not really. It was up 1.7% today. That's a nice showing for the Qs. But in terms of the type of move, only 4.5 bucks, and I say only tongue-in-cheek. In terms of the Qs, 1.5%, that's like child's play. Also, tongue-in-cheek. Here's the deal. It's basically doing the same or similar to the S&P 500. It's got a bearish, wedgish, flaggish thing going on, riding the 50-period moving average. The only way this thing's turned bullish is if they get above and close daily above the high over here at 282.20. Until and unless that happens, then this is a bearish, wedgish, kind of flaggish kind of thing. If they go to the downside and there's somewhat of a scare the pants off everybody, where's that buy with both hands or three hands type of price? May not get there in one day, but the price is around 255. Give or take 50 cents on either side. Anything wrong with the financials? Up 1.34% today? No, nothing wrong with the financials. Now back over the 20 period moving average. So what are they going to do next? Well, first, they're going to fill the gap that was missed today. What do I mean? Check this out. Again, no accidents or coincidences. So here's the gap. Closing price, 25.29. High of day today, 25.27. Did they have an opportunity to fill the gap? Could they have punched it up another two cents to fill the gap? And the answer is, yes, they could have. Now, let's say they do go back up. Is the gap the same as it would have been today in terms of an intraday resistance point? And the answer is, no, it's not. They came close, traded away, it's off the table. They may fill the gap and get rejected. However, it's not the same type of trade. And this is trading 101, right? This is stuff that applies to all charts, not just the financials. But the fact that they missed it, a near miss today, they go back up, it's not the same trade, you don't want it. How about Smash Mouth? What's going on over here? Good proxy for the tech space, up 2.5% today. Good showing, nothing wrong. Same bearish, wedgish, flaggish kind of pattern thing. So on one hand, nice up day. On the other hand, until and unless this thing gets north of the 20-period moving average at a minimum, there's no dice. Where's the ideal spot for Smash Mouth? 152, 153, 149, give or take on a debacle. Have I told you how much I appreciate each and every one of you? Without you, these videos are not possible. That is true and accurate information. We're going to pull the ripcord here today. It's everything I wanted to and intended to discuss. I'm David Frost, my strategic forecast. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Common Sense Market Analysis. My Strategic Forecast is hosted by David Frost. Subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And please visit MyStrategicForecast.com for more information. My Strategic Forecast is common sense market analysis.